Welcome back to Real Talk, everyone. So folks who have been listening to the podcast for a long time know that toward the end of each episode, uh, for many seasons, uh, Jamil and I always used to ask our guests from wherever they were um, situated within higher ed to, to reimagine what higher ed could look like. But we did it sort of as like an end segment, uh, sort of a together imagining uh, as a creative act, um, thinking how, you know, because often we focus on here, we'll look at all these problems, how do we deal with those, but also let's just vision, let's imagine a better world. But again, we just did it for a few minutes, real quick at the end of each episode. And today, we get to do that the whole time. Our guest today is all about reimagining higher ed. It is what he does. Mm-hmm. Today, ladies and gentlemen, and all the in-betweens, we, <laughs> we have um, Dr. Robinson Morris, who is, this is a five-page bio, y'all. I just want to let you know. It's got a picture. It is rich in color. <laughs> it's got links. <laughs> and I was like, how do I introduce this beautiful man and what i came up with was that he's the embodiment of the d the e's and the i's um if you just go through the bio and look at all the things that he has done which is immense i'm like geez if i could die with a bio like this i'd be great (laughs) (laughs) um and you know, there's just so much here that speaks to pretty much everything that we are trying to embody in this podcast. You know, on the Southern campus, um, just as people right now in general. Um, and he's the founder and chief reimaginationary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, um, for the reimaginationation. I think I'm saying this correctly. Um, and that's, I mean, I mean, that in a nutshell, it's kind of like where you drop the bomb. I'm dropping bombs here. Uh, <laughs> All right, fun if, if that's what that sounded like. Um, yeah, that's how I want to introduce because I think a lot of the conversation that we're going to have today, you're going to tease out so much of, you know, what he's done. And yeah, I mean, this is this is pretty much... This this is the episode to listen to if you're looking for the diversity in higher ed. Um, so welcome, Dr. Robinson Morris. Thank you, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to be in conversation. That was the the best shortest intro I've ever had. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if you have a, a such a, a, a robust bio, it's really oh, yeah. hard to shorten that down. You know. I was <sighs> I was in the lift. I was like, whoa. This is tough. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, so could you tell us, you know, what is your relationship to to higher ed? What is your work focused on? Yeah, that's a good question. It's focused on lots <laughs> of things on different days, right? Yep. But my relationship to higher ed is one, uh, I studied higher education, right? So my um, graduate degree is in higher ed administration. Mm-hmm. Um I teach higher education as an institution, right, and the history of it mm-hmm. uh, to doctoral students, and I've worked within it, right. Of course, I've attended it. I've, I've been a, um, I hate this word, I've been a consumer of it mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because higher education is not a consumer culture, right? It shouldn't be, but we, we could talk about that too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've also um, served as an administrator. Uh, I left uh, Xavier University of Louisiana as the assistant vice president for development um, and assistant professor in education there and the founding director of the center for equity justice and the human spirit there so founded Mm -hmm. justice and social activism center um, as well as other positions within within higher ed Um, now i find myself uh, being a a polite disruptor most days (laughs) of the status quo Right within higher education, 
and within systems in general, right? What what we have to understand about higher ed is higher ed is a system. Um, systems are meant for their own survival, uh, and while they they have uh, a responsibility to care for you, they may not be able to do so, mm. right? As human beings, mm-hmm. and so now I help people understand that um, while higher education is wonderful, and it is wonderful, mm-hmm. and it is a place, um, you know, I used to call them magical places. They're, they are places of becoming. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and it's really a place where we grow into, those of us who are tr- of traditional age, grow into adulthood um, and into who we will be in life and who we are becoming in life. Um, but they can also do damage mm-hmm. right, in the same way. And so a lot of what I'm doing these days is discussing both the beauty and the damage of the system and assisting people in thinking about it differently and and dreaming about the future of the system before they begin to think about how to make it so. Yeah, as you were as you were talking about um, higher ed as, as a place of becoming, absolutely at its best. And then at its worst, it can be so predatory mm-hmm. um, for all parties involved. But that spirit of, of a place of becoming and, and of discovering things you didn't know were there to discover, I mean, that really is like the magic. Yes. Has yeah. that been, have you all experienced that in your higher ed journeys yourselves? Of course. Of oh, course. yeah. Many times? Especially because yeah. um, I, I was school hopping. Uh, not Not purposefully. No, monetarily. Okay. <laughs> um, but afterwards, you know, after the frustration of going to different schools, um, it dawned on me one day. I was like, I've been to a private school, public school, and a community college, and I got to see how all those things function. Um, and I appreciated that. You know, I appreciated getting to see those different lenses because I'm a person that likes to have multiple experiences and see different things and. I got to see the different versions of higher ed and the different versions of how people respond and, you know, between student and school, um, school and student. And, yeah, I've definitely, my, my first school I definitely became because I was trying to leave Connecticut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when I got to New York City, I was like, I am in the everythings. I joined every club. I think I went to debate club like twice. I was like, you ain't even, even going to get on that stage. <laughs> You know, and debate, but I just wanted to be in the room. Mm. Um, and I really did. Like, I, I went so hard trying to involve myself and get everything out of that very expensive education. Okay. <laughs> every penny. <laughs> and every time somebody be like, why are you going here? I was like, I pay for this. Okay. That is why. That's it's it. mine. I pay for this. They all work for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I, I definitely, I joined not just you know, friend groups and got to understand like who I was as a person and my personality, but I got to see how I could uptake information, you know, sure. and how I could respond to teachers. And I was, I'm super anti, what's the thing? Uh, rate my professor. Oh, um, I love it. And <laughs> I, I say that because I'm such a personal experience individual right. and I'll heed someone's warning. But when I tell you that 99.9% of the time someone has warned me about someone and I have had an amazing relationship with that person mm-hmm. and literally mm-hmm. sat in a class and been like, I can see why you don't get along. But well, that's, that's part of you. the <laughs> consumer culture right there. Right. Yeah. Rankings yeah. and ratings. Yeah. I love you know, that. of people. And I'm I just love like, a review. Ah, Give me the card. Don't pack. review my person. No. Give me you, the can, you can review the class, but you nope. ain't gotta review me. <laughs> Give me the car facts. What's their track history? You know, I I'm a review person. I look at the demographic of who's responding. How okay. many have the same kind of what's the common theme here? Right? I'm, Is that all right, my She's a social scientist. <laughs> this is a sociologist looking at you like what oh yes. no I look for the pattern and like when I think about the idea of like becoming in college, I was very intentional. Like from New York, I was like, how far can I get? Alabama. And mm-hmm. I went. Mm-hmm. I was like, if I get in, I'm going. So that was how I ended up at mm-hmm. Tuskegee. I just was like, if I get in, I'm going. And it wasn't what I expected. I had never visited campus. Mm-hmm. All I knew was that my institution needed two things. I wanted to go to HBCU, and it mm-hmm. needed to have gates. Gates? It gates. needed to be gated. I wanted to be in a gated community. <laughs> I don't know if what If it that was is. an open campus, like, 
think about Clark Atlanta, the CAU, uh-huh. right? It's just these open just campuses. Just part of the city. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, we can't do that. I need the gates. You wanted a, a she wanted protection. Oh, close it. Ins- insular. In and out. Collegiate experience. Was this post-school shooting? Oh, of course. I mean, but we're the era of school shootings, right? Like Columbine, like we're that era. No, I know what I'm saying. Like, I think there was something in like Virginia Tech or something we done already while been I was in That was after like high school. We done already been through how old I am. Oh. <laughs> Girl, you're like two years older than me. Get so, out of my face. <laughs> but what I appreciated, when you think about becoming and you think about these hardships in uh, higher education in general, that built endurance for me like mm-hmm. I learned to be my own advocate mm-hmm. even as a student I'm also we gonna say it a consumer mm-hmm. and I knew that I was paying to be here so not only was I paying to be here but I was also earning my way with grades mm-hmm. so I'm gonna get what I'm gonna get and mm-hmm. you may not like it I may not like it but guess what I'm gonna fight to be here and I'm gonna mm-hmm. stick it out and I'm gonna tough it out um Ultimately, it boiled down to finances and school hopping. So mm-hmm. I get it. But uh, I always qualify my undergraduate experience as Tuskegee because I spent four whole years really fighting to be there. Right. Like you think about administration, you think about professors, you think about just having a safe space. I mm-hmm. knew coming from New York City and going to public high schools in these wealthy areas. Mm-hmm. Right. There was a certain demographic there. Mm-hmm. And I knew that's not what I wanted for college. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be very mm-hmm. comfortable, wanted to be me. I didn't realize it came with, you know, a whole lot of other things. But I became who I am, right? Mm-hmm. I had a voice. I learned how to use that voice to get where I needed to go. Mm-hmm. I learned how to use which kind of diction, code switch, which... Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's necessary. Yep. Um, we were near Auburn, so I could go to Auburn and hang. I could go to Tuskegee and hang. I could go to Alabama State. We could go to Birmingham and party over there, right? We learned to be within our own unit and then a worldly unit. Mm-hmm. So college is what you make it. Mm-hmm. Every university is not great. But if you look at those negatives and see how they mold your personality to help you survive in the real world, you'll appreciate the experience. Do we love it? Not every time. There's stuff we're not going to like in the world, but you learn to live in the real world. That's just what it is. That's what I tell people. That's why I don't use rate my professor because I say you can't rate your you can't rate your. I'm gonna rate you. You can't rate you can't rate your boss. You're not gonna be able to rate the, the you can't on coworker indeed. that you hate. You're you not gonna be indeed. able to. I mean, you can glass you door. Can, you, can, you can shake the table underneath, <laughs> but you're not gonna be able to change every person you know that you're around. So that's why I was always anti rate my professor because I was like, listen, I'm gonna have to learn to be in communion in spaces with people that I do not like. And I would force myself to do that because I was like, this is going to be this is going to be a coworker. It's going to mm-hmm. be a boss. It's going to be something. And if I homework. sit there and I puzzle piece it out when I'm a kid. OK, that's cute. That's great. But you gonna get in the world. You will have a culture shock because you're going to think you could go up to somebody and, and remove them. And they're going to be like, oh, I've been here 30 years, baby. Guess who's going to leave you? <laughs> so you got you got to learn, man. You think it's about removal or do you think it's about like the prep work? I feel like rate my professor is my prep work, right? Like do a little research on the person. Okay. Well, you probably doing it. And then you listen and observe like your first couple days of class and see if there's fact to what people are saying. And then you move accordingly. I feel like it's just a little background check. I mean, I I will say that I students come to my class and, and, they're not like getting information from the course catalog. <laughs> like, when I'm like, so, so what had you, what had you register for class? I'm like, well, I saw you rate my professor and Ooh. it looked like a fun class. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but okay. 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 <laughs> I want to get back to this question of the, the system of higher ed, because I always mm-hmm. love talking to people who can think about and analyze systems. I'm like a, a storyteller and really like super good at close reading and like detail kind of analysis when it comes to big picture, I super struggle with that. Mm -hmm. So with you here, um, as somebody who studies the very complex system of higher ed, Mm -hmm. um, we've talked a little bit about the possibility, um, but what is it that you would say, and again, like we say like a system, but I guess it's it's many, many systems Mm -hmm. um, working together. But what is it specifically about higher ed or diversity work, maybe more specifically in higher ed that need revolutionizing and reimagining. Yeah. Hmm. Do we have the time? Okay. Um, 
You know, I, I think the first thing, and you pointed it out in, in the in the prompt, right, in the question there, was that um, institutions of higher learning really are siloed uh, divisions strung mm. together by a parking system. Sure, sure, sure. And the first thing that we have to do is to make this thing whole. Um, now, the question for the system becomes, of what benefit is it for me, right, as a system, to make sure that all of these things work in tandem um, toward wholeness, right? Part of part of my analysis of systems is to keep us discombobulated, is to is to keep us a little confused about mm -hmm. what's happening. Right, that's systems in general. Um, to keep us confused so that we don't see the full picture. Interesting. Yeah. Right. Um, if you have all of the data and all the knowledge, then I can go in and call that system on its thing. Mm -hmm. But if something remains hidden, we do this with our own lives, right? If something remains hidden, there's a bit of mystery there. And I, I tell this people all the time, I will tell you the truth and not tell you everything, I, but not tell you everything I know. But I'll always tell you the truth. Right. And that's what some systems do. They tell you the truth, maybe, but they won't always tell you everything they know. Right. And that's not that's not for me. That's for my Angelo way back then. Um, but what needs to be revolutionized, right? One is wholeness. Right. We're, we are dealing with populations that are not whole. Right. And to be healed means to be whole. So how can the system model healing and wholeness? If it can at all, right? That's one thing. Um, with respect to diversity work, you know, it it baffles me that educated people are so foolish. Mm. Mm. <laughs> um, and my my grandmother, God rest her soul, would always. My mother would ask a question, uh, who's also no longer with us, and my grandmother would respond, "You're just an educated fool." <laughs> you got all the and you asked me this silly question, right? What is wrong with you? Um, <sighs> and sometimes we are so smart that we're dumb. Yeah. Yes. Right. Um, and so when I'm looking at these at higher education in particular, there are lots of learned, intelligent, deeply studied people who know what they know. Right. But the one thing that they cannot wrap their heads around, it seems, is that uh, we are living within a shared humanity. Right. Uh, and that race, which has very real implications and consequences, is an imaginary construct. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Not real. Real consequences. Right. Because people believe it to be real, but not a reality. Right. Um, and if we can if we can wrap our heads around some of this, this would help us in a big way in society in general. The, the other piece that most colleges are working toward now is interdisciplinarity, mm -hmm. right? If you think about the word discipline, which is under which we study, right? All of us belong to a certain discipline. What does a discipline do? It limits the mind, mm -hmm. right? It puts us in these parameters, literally discipline disciplines the mind mm -hmm. for us to think in a certain way and to not think outside of those thoughts. Right. The whole point for me of institutions of higher education is to begin to think outside of what has already been thought. Uh -huh. And that's at every level. Right. Now, we focus on that in, with doc students and with graduate students. Right. Because that's the whole point. The point is for you to be producers of knowledge. Uh -huh. But why isn't that being done at the undergraduate level? Right. Yeah. Um, the The belief potentially is that organic intellectualism, right, community-wise knowledge is not a valid form of knowledge, right, or a valid form of knowledge production, right, which is why we don't see rap or reggae or any of those, those modes of creation as valid forms of knowledge production, uh -huh. right, we even name them differently, that it, it's the creative arts, well, that's knowledge production, right, and we have to call the thing what it is. But in some respects, not calling it that protects the system, right? Because it, what it says, uh, it allows us to say who's allowed, who's not allowed, right? It allows us to gatekeep as a system. 
Um, it allows us to keep some folks in and, and move some folks out. Mm. Right. Um, and it keeps us in a mode of thinking that is limited mm. to what the system tells us we can think. And so all of that has to go. Yeah. Um, we are in a moment where everything has to be rethought and changed. Um, and, and Danielle will know this, but I hate the word change, right? I love the mm. word transformation. <laughs> um, things need to be transformed. Right? doesn't mean you get rid of the whole thing. But what is good that can evolve? Huh. Right? And so that is part of what what we have to do to, to rethink this whole thing, to figure out what is good about what we're doing in higher education and how can we do more of it? And not only more of it, but how can we do more of it for collective liberation and healing of everyone? That was a long answer, y'all. Mm. That was deep. <laughs> I know. That was deep. Everybody had to take a breath. You know what? No, it got me thinking because I'm like, hmm, when you talk about um, creating these specialized spaces that are also inclusive of the undergraduates, I'm, I got to think on that. You know, if mm-hmm. I sit and think about freshman and sophomore year, think about coming straight from high school and going into freshman and sophomore year and just having been obviously in higher education and then um, in my latest capacity, kind of mentoring these freshman students that are COVID kids, which is just a whole yeah. nother mm-hmm. set of like. I want to talk about that. Wow, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can say with certainty that they are emotionally equipped to come into a collegiate environment and start being specialized off the rip. I think there is something to kind of keeping them in their, not silo, but entry level in their freshman and sophomore year, just so they can get their legs. You know, like the students that struggled the most that I've encountered in recent years, they were like, okay, I went from being so heavily monitored in high school, right? Mm -hmm. Strict deadlines. Somebody at home is like, did you do your homework? Do this, do this, do this. And now you're kind of on your own. You have your own time management, things like that. I think for the American higher education system. I'll say that coming into it specialized or interdisciplinary just off rip, they might miss a lot of information because they're not organized enough and they haven't self-regulated enough to be able to make that executive decision to be a good student freshman year. That to me is your year of discovery, right? Freshman year, you're on your own, you're getting time management, you're keeping deadlines, you're doing all of that. I think that junior, senior aspect, kind of where we are, it could be better now, is where you get more into your field, your focus, your passion point. It just, mm, there's ways I think it can be done. Like, I agree with you. It's just, it would need more of a focus that is encompassing of interdisciplinary, like to tell you what's coming next. Like you get a freshman year rubric for the next four years. <laughs> Interesting. And then I think you're also like it, listening to you talk. I'm like, well, this, this also speaks to the specifics of how your mind works. Yeah. Because so, so <laughs> folks who are listening, um, Danielle and I are more of like sort of the messy creative thinkers. Can yeah. I say that? Okay. Yeah. Um, we say a bunch of stuff to Saida and then she organizes it in an outline. Yeah. So you do really like if you don't find the structure, you create it. But you're you're also getting in a question of like, you know, I had a friend at one point who asked a question in a, in a seminar, a grad seminar on um, gender and sexuality. Like, do we have to learn the simple version first and then deconstruct it all the time or can we just go to the more complex reality like do you have to learn like there's gay people and then there's straight people and then like later blow that up you know do we have to learn the watered down history in high school and then Mm -hmm. do you have to go to college to actually learn what really happened maybe you know yeah i think i don't know i i think that's part of the issue personally with Uh um with that I've always had with higher education and that's something that I've always wanted to see reimagined because I felt like I was stunted yeah my freshman year mm. because because of that because they were like no we have a structure like you guys aren't ready and I came into college and when I tell you I 
I probably was more ready then than I am now <laughs> to do any. I mean, I came in guns blazing. I was like, I know what I want to do. I wanted to radio and magazines, a.k.a. I wanted to be bigger than Oprah. <laughs> I wanted to have every medium. I wanted There's to have still, television, still radio, magazine. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but I knew that I wanted to get internships. I remember I was a freshman. I went all the way to the city. It's not all the way. It was in Queens. But I went to Manhattan <laughs> And had a whole interview with Universal Records. And I was gonna, I was like, I was doing it. Okay. And they sat in my face and were like, we would give this to you today, but your school does not allow freshmen to have internships. Interesting. And I said, you are blocking me. <laughs> and I tried my best. I went to the administrators or whatever. And it was like, oh, this is just our policy. And then there was someone from another school that got to do that in their sophomore year that came onto our campus and was working for 105.1. And I was like, see, that's like, you're blocking my ability to, to take things in. So I really think it's like a personal thing. And I really think the only reason kids are stunted when they're coming in and they have to have that buffer is because they're not given the freedom to have thought and process and creativity in high school. Everything is so dictated and it's not like a participatory thing. It's like a dictation. Mm -hmm. But if they had more ability to participate, they'd be open up that creative ability in their mind. They'd be open up the ability to have responsibility. But because we're too afraid to give it, they are too afraid to seek it. That's I what I've what seen. Saying. I mean, again, look, here I go. Here I go. She pros. <laughs> we said imagination, girl, not reality. I, look, I am imagining, <laughs> right? But but in some areas, the glory is the process. Sometimes, yeah. and I'm not saying all the time, do I think that particular instance was right? Mm -hmm. No, but maybe if they had said, okay, freshman year, first semester, mm -hmm. We need you to, to show that you can actually be responsible, right? Mm. Because what if you're, you might be the outlier, right? I'm always the outlier. What if they had <laughs> a bunch exception. of people, right, yeah. who were like, oh, yeah, we could do this freshman year. And then they've made these partnerships. They've fostered these kind of relationships, mm -hmm. sent in some freshmen that didn't get it done, didn't adhere to time deadlines, didn't do what they needed to do, right? One bad apple spoils the bunch. That will ruin relationships between companies and close the door behind you. But so, see, you thinking about this as a, <laughs> what, what we say? Consumer. Mm. Mr. 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 Dr. Robinson Morris. Okay. You see, did you hear that? Did you hear her? Did I you ruin relationships that. between companies and we ain't talking about I mean, humanities. I, you're not wrong either. Girl, you talking like you go to school. <laughs> it's a both and situation. Yes. yes. Um, and one thing that I'm hearing in, in our conversation, right, is we need to expand the idea around what knowledge is. Mm -hmm. There is cognitive understanding mm -hmm. and there's embodied knowing, mm -hmm. right? Um, two very different processes of coming to know. Yeah. But what, I, what I'm also hearing in this is that for, for an institution, especially higher education or educational institutions, Everything is part of the curriculum. Mm -hmm. right? The building is part of the curriculum. The art on the walls is part of the oh, curriculum. Interesting mm -hmm. way to put that. Mm -hmm. Roommate is part of the curriculum, right? You are learning the world. Yes. Not just not not just this sort of set disciplinary knowledge that we've set out. Yes. Right. Now we can go into you know how do people learn? Well, we don't actually really know the answer to that. We know yeah. how we know the modes of learning, mm. right? Um, and what I know, my sister, my little sister is an algebra teacher, right? And what I know is that she would not put a student in calculus if they had not taken algebra two. Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. right. So there are ways that we have to develop and mature cognitively, emotionally, physically mm -hmm. uh, to be prepared for certain situations. Mm -hmm. Right. The science tells us that we aren't uh, cognitively, we aren't adults until we're somewhere between 25 and 27. Mm -hmm. Right. So in essence, undergraduates were still dealing with kid minds, mm -hmm. with adult bodies, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> as parents say in the South, who are smelling themselves. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, so that also has to be um, front of mind for the system. Right. Mm -hmm. Who doesn't want to, but who is acting in local parentis, right, in place of parents. Mm -hmm. um, 
with those students under their charge. So it's this weird combination. It's complex. This weird combination of these two things having to come together where you are trying to assist in teaching how to navigate the world. Yes. Right. You are acting as the Sherpa of becoming. Right. So you're trying to move students through the process of becoming. Um, you're also dealing in college with a lot of issues that come up that weren't there before, right? So you're dealing with um, trauma, with intergenerational trauma. You're dealing with um, some students are for the first time are dealing with death at home, mm-hmm. right? Um, so all of these new concepts are coming up, which puts a huge responsibility on the institution mm-hmm. right. itself, right? Um, and I acknowledge that. Mm. Right, I acknowledge those um, those concerns for institutions because they are concerns, um, and they have to be because the institution, well, the institution should care about the human beings in its charge mm. and how they develop. On the flip side of that, right, is yes, that's all true, but how do we expand, especially when we're talking about DEI, right? How do we expand interactions, right? How do we move folks from homogeneous environments into heterogeneous environments, mm-hmm. right? That will expand their worldview, right? How do we model and practice cultural humility, mm. right? How do we model and practice openness and intellectual curiosity um, and uh, inclusiveness and belonging and all of those things that we talk about, right? Mm-hmm. And how do we practice educational equity, right? To your point, Danielle, how do we give the student what they need, mm-hmm. right? And not what fits for the whole. Mm-hmm. Difficult, because systems aren't set up that mm-hmm. right? They're set up to address large numbers of folks and to move them through a process in an orderly fashion to mm-hmm. achieve a goal, right? So I acknowledge the difficulty that we, got, we have to start to, to think about how we move people through differently um, and I know I'm talking to a, an institution, but if the credential is even necessary in the world. Right. I know I didn't need gym as a class in college. That's <laughs> I took two credits of gym in college. And I took swimming. T- did we need it? Are you an Olympic swimmer now? I mean, it was exercise science. <laughs> Is that the oh, goal? Oh, my goodness <laughs> gracious. I know that. I was like, really? You bring up such an interesting point, and... We do have to acknowledge the burden on institutions to try and create individualized, but also group and yeah. collective environments. Um, I feel like part of it, though, <laughs> in the words of in the South, smelling themselves, right? They get to college and they think they are grown, grown. That's not it. You're not grown in college. And I feel like part of what we're missing as a whole, as a nation, is we tend to be so individualistic and think that we are the best and it's an ego thing. And I feel like part of college needs to humble you. You can't just come out the gate guns blazing. You may think you're ready, but if you were to go into a situation you hadn't encountered before, how are you going to manage that? You haven't been taught those proper conflict management, coping mechanisms, things to that extent. So there is value in taking time in the process. Look, here I go back back to my organization and processes. But there is value in it. And because I deal with the social sciences and because I look at development and things of that sort, I am, and because I'm a parent, my kid's very smart, but socially he is in the grade he belongs in, Mm -hmm. truly. You know, you have to think about those variables and collectively the age that we're in, the time that we're in post-COVID world, Mm -hmm. I feel like these kids are even more stunted in terms of growth because they didn't have certain social experiences that we all had when we had them. Snow days. (laughs) We just had our first snow day this week. Okay, I do want to talk about, so you mentioned just like COVID students, and I I really, I've been talking to colleagues a lot this semester in particular, because we all feel way more burned out. Like we thought we knew burnout, and right now is deeper than that. I don't know if we've hit the floor yet, but it's... Or it feels like it. Through it's the floor. Deep. I don't know. But it, <laughs> and deep. one of my colleagues uh, was saying we're, we're teaching part of the burnout and we have a heavy teaching load, but is that we're teaching, we care so much about teaching and about what we do and our students are despondent Yeah. Um, or people use different words depending on what they're experiencing. It could mm-hmm. be um, 
passive. It's like I, I don't their their physical bodies in the room, but their their spirit really isn't, or they're they're checked out. We had a snow day, and and in the past, like wow, like what a gift a snow day is. Oh yeah, no one really like, they could take it or leave it. So and, um, that yeah, uh, utterly yeah. shocked. So th- there's something else going on with students in this moment that is new, even since last year. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a and I, and I'm you know it's like we're all physically here, but what's the difference between a campus and a space that is bustling and that is alive mm-hmm. with activity in a way that is life giving versus all of us running around and just constantly doing more, 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 more in a way that is utterly unsustainable. Mm. I feel like it's always the do more with less. Yeah. But it, it, it also at the same time, like there's a version of uh, not busyness, but just vibrant life. Like, and, and I don't think we're, we're not living that right now. No. And no. I'm really noticing that, especially in the past couple of weeks. You know what it is, though? You also have to factor in um, the demographic of the university. If, as we look at diversity, right, we look at the predominance of the population in it, this particular university, and then you have to also address the socioeconomic statuses surrounding it, right? These are not wealthy kids. These are not rich right. kids. These are not kids that come from the best private schools and things like that, right? Like, these are kids who sometimes this is their safety school. They didn't get in anywhere else or they can't Mm -hmm. go far because they have family things. A lot of these kids are also working and in school. Mm -hmm. Or they're here and they're not sure why they're here. Right. There's a lot of that. So Mm -hmm. I feel like what you're seeing might be specific to the demographic. I don't know. I hear it from other institutions too. Yeah. Absenteeism too. Like (laughs) at Yale students like... Very yeah. few students showing up to class. Hmm. I'm so. wondering if it's if it is just the environment of. I mean, um, the nation. It's a it's a human issue. It is. Right? Mm. It is a human issue. The in in my my hum, very humble opinion, the the issue is that none of us are okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. We have experienced trauma on a global scale. Mm-hmm. Right? Hundreds of thousands of people have perished. Well, we have locked ourselves in our homes, right? Isolate, right? You don't escape that. You don't get out of that unscathed, mm-hmm. right? No one is well. Uh, again, going back to my sister who teaches high school kids, when right? she's like, they, they don't they're sitting in class. They're not. They're not doing anything. Some of them, you can smell the stench of weed on them when they go in the mm-hmm. in the bathroom and smoke a joint. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, and I'm not going to write them up for it because I know they are not well. Right. And that is their medicine at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, we get a totally different reaction. But none of us are well. Mm-hmm. And we have to acknowledge that, right? Um, and if, you're, if your frontal lobes are not fully developed and you've experienced this trauma and you don't have the ability to emotionally process it in a real way, well, yeah, I'm going to come to class. I'm going to be a zombie. I'm going. I'm here because I need to be. Right. But I have no energy for you. Yep. Zero energy for you. As well as the isolation, right? So part of my academic work, I study Ubuntu and socially engaged Buddhism. Mm-hmm. What we learn through those two what I call philosophy practices is that, especially in Ubuntu, is that not only is humanity equality we owe each other, but we become human by being in communication and interaction with other human beings. Yes. Um, and so if I've been isolated for all of this time, right, with my parents, with families, by myself, um, in situations that may not have already been good to begin with, mm-hmm. but now you have me soaking in it, right? And the world open back opens up again and we are supposed to start back again like everything is normal. I know. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nothing's normal. Mm-hmm. Nothing's normal. Um, so the doing more isn't going to help you in the classroom. No. No. What's going to help you is doing less and being still in the classroom. Right? Um, at least in my opinion. And, and making sure they know they're seen. Yeah. Right. Um, but doing more, you're you're spinning your wheels. 
this, right? Yeah. And as a as a teacher, professor, instructor, you're also not okay. Yeah. Um, and what you're actually doing by doing more is transferring your trauma, your frenetic energy, your issues onto people who already are well. Yep. Right? So cut that shit out. <laughs> be still. Yeah. Sit down, meditate, be still, right? Um, whatever your process is, do it. So how can we model Ubuntu in leadership? Mm. Yes. So Ubuntu, um, as you all know, is a South African communalist notion of humanity. Right? Again, it means uh, I am uh, because we are. The goal with the, the central sort of focus on Ubuntu is that um, the we never supersedes the I and the I never supersedes the we. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're talking about collective, a collective orientation here. Right. So for as a leader, uh, Ubuntu is making sure that I'm okay as a person, right? And that we are right collectively. Mm-hmm. Right. And we all right, if we can't be all right, unless each of you is all right, mm-hmm. and each of you can't be all right, unless all of us are all right, mm-hmm. right? So there's this notion of, uh, of collective care, right? Um, and of collaborative leadership, right? And the, the central focus in that is that the leader has to understand our shared humanity. And that, as I said previously, humanity is a quality that we owe one another, right? I may not like you, and this happens at universities all the time. I, I may, maybe I can't stand you because my my institutional politics differs from your institutional politics, but I will treat you with loving kindness, right? I will treat you with uh, respect mm-hmm. because humanity is the quality that we owe one another, Um and so having that type of orientation really helps when you're developing your leadership teams and when you're interacting with other people. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I am just noticing how, how often you're referring to, um, th- this might sound so basic, but students as human beings um, and to humanity and to um, humans and to the collective. And that is I mean, just not the way that university leadership Mm. generally speaks of students. It's more about revenue. It's about um, enrollment. It's about these like very abstract Mm. um, ways that we measure um, that, you know, systems need to run, et cetera. But the, the humanity and the human being, I think, is what is fundamentally missing in a lot of those 100% conversations I've always felt like the humanity was missing you know um because they push you to be so individualistic that's America but um maybe it's just because I am a person of color and so much of our basis is collectivism and community and like that's it's like in our blood and even if we've been separated from that ideology you know integrating into America more and more um, it's always there, you know, and I have black American and, and black Caribbean in me. So it's always there. And I think so much of higher ed for students is like, this is the learning ground. You know, we said this is where you do the becoming. So when you're coming from certain backgrounds and and communities and you're kind of wrestling with the ideology of like now you're competing with everyone around you instead of collaborating. Um, you you got to wrestle with that. You know, now everybody's fighting for a grade in a class. Now everybody's doing this instead of everybody coming together and be like, how do we get this grade? Um, how do we work together towards this? Oh, I see someone struggling. Do you need help? As opposed to mm, they got to do. <laughs> they got to wrestle with that. You know, they must have did the work. You know, they and, and self care. Yeah. You know, and, and you put yourself mentally in this position of hierarchy. Um, because what are we here for? Quote unquote, competing for jobs. You know, everybody, we're competing for jobs. We're competing for, why are we not working together to get people jobs? Why am I not going, 
Saida, man, I just saw this posting, and I know how you are. You real analytical. <laughs> That's you, baby girl. I'm sending it to you right now. Right. You know why are we why are we in competition with each other, especially if our disciplines are different? Who am I competing with? Right. You know, so I think a lot of that is just the ideolo- ideology of of what we think and and how institutions really started. You know, it was com- competition for white men, right? Um, rich white men. Well, yeah, you got the rich baby. Yeah, That's important. Yeah, yeah you're right. Um, but we're we're passing down the ideology that doesn't work for anybody that's in higher ed right now. You have more middle class people. You have more lower class people. You have more people of color and older none of students. yeah, and, and older students and none of our ideologies dealt with what was you know mainstay for rich white men. Right. You know, and so I think higher ed hasn't gotten to the point in this diversity and inclusion of realizing that its foundation doesn't work for any of the people that are in it. Because it's, it's not our like, thing. <laughs> I almost feel like it's not an aspiration for a lot. Right. Yeah. For me, I feel as as a black person. Right. Who's attended a historically black school and also, you know, PWIs. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't feel that it's in the forefront. It's a performative gesture to draw in a certain demographic. What, a DEI? Mm-hmm. Mm. It draws, it has a draw to it. Like, oh my goodness, some some schools, I'm not going to generalize, right? Some are doing the work. Mm-hmm. They are. But as a totality across the United States, oh, mm-hmm. absolutely not. But mm-hmm. it looks good. But a lot of times it also, like going back to the very beginning of our conversation, DEI work happens in a silo. Yep. Yeah. And it happens with... The same and five it might people. be interdisciplinary, <laughs> the people who are in that particular silo, but it still happens there and it stays there. Right. Yeah. And then there's other people who are like, well, we're just going to hold on the system. So good luck. <laughs> yeah. Part of it feels intentional, though. Right. Yeah. It yes. feels like DEI is in a silo intentionally because you have to have the marker there mm-hmm. that it exists. But in terms of actually making institutions equitable, mm-hmm. it's not lucrative. Mm-hmm. It's not lucrative in the sense that the information being produced is going to continue to perpetuate the narrative that's always been. It's going to change the narrative Mm -hmm. in a way that's like, hmm, all of this is misinformation and it's going to make people think differently, which is going to be problematic and Mm -hmm. disrupt the entire thing at its core. Mm -hmm. So do I think it's real? Ah, It's it's mildly imaginary for me, right? Right. Because if you in fact did the work, As we're getting more, and this is, I'm just speaking from research, right? When you look at psychological research, there have been beyond studies that are like, psychology is not culturally competent. So it says that black people and people of color don't measure up the same way as white people, but that's just relative, right? It's the relationship to the material being presented. When you start getting diverse researchers and producing research that is totally contradictory, suddenly everything that the educational community thought they knew Mm -hmm. it was wrong. It was incorrect. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to sit here and evaluate. Oh my goodness. Everything. And share power. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh no, don't do that. Mm -hmm. Power. Ah. So I don't Mm -hmm. know. It has its place. Mm -hmm. DEI has a very heavy responsibility, but the institutions that are subscribing to DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, justice, belonging, all these terms. It's an industry. Right. It's that. It's commercialized. It's mm-hmm. not doing the work. It's commercialized. It's getting funded, right? Mm-hmm. But where does the money go? You get the numbers. You get the retention. You get, you get the people, right, mm-hmm. that you've already said are statistics. They're metrics. They're not indicative of human people. They're indicative of a number for a bottom line, mm-hmm. right? But you're not doing the work. This all boils down to a stat and a number. Yeah. I've complained about that multiple times because y'all are right. We are all. We're all doing a lot of stuff. Right. A lot of stuff. But we're also human, right? These numbers, these metrics, these intersections are indicative of people behind it. And we're not really for the people. We're for the numbers, the money, Mm -hmm. the metric, not the change Mm. or transformation. And DI work. You know, I, I talked to somebody recently. I was like. I'm just so interested how I show up to all these events and I'm doing all the things. First off, it's it's completely people of color and, and any other, you know, any LGBTQ, any disabled person, they are leading the charge. And I think that that's insane. Um, but also, where are the other people? You know, where are the people that are perpetuating the things that we're supposed to be, you know, working? No. 
You know, I said, you know, I got a lot of people that I know that may or may not be in things that I'm involved in that may or not been may not be white men. And I don't see them in any room that I attend. Right. But they're teaching people. Yes. Equity. Are they? Oh, yeah. Mm. The, yeah. Is it accurate? I'm not naming names. <laughs> but I was talking about this recently and I just was like, you know, why do I not see these people in the room? And if I have seen someone in the room, they're usually LGBTQ. Yeah. If I right. see a black man in the room, he gay. Okay. Mm-hmm. If I've seen a white man in the room, he's, he's from the community. He's from the, the alphabet suit. Mm-hmm. He or she or whatever. Um, well, hey. you know what? Because uh, it, it takes extra time. And yep. it takes energy and it, ma- it makes you be vulnerable and uncomfortable and people live their lives because it's easier to do. Um, they spend all the time on their research. They get mm-hmm. the promotions. Um, you know, unless there is significant societal or institutional pressure mm-hmm. or personal pressure mm-hmm. to do otherwise or personal experience. But, I, you know, David, what are your thoughts about, yes. like, in these systems that are designed to persist especially in you know we're we're in connecticut and we have our struggles but <laughs> there's also florida and there's texas um and there's new orleans you know new orleans. what's it like in new orleans you know? <laughs> so what well, yeah what's your what's your perspective on this yeah i think i think some of the things you all said were spot on right um that when we look at diversity equity and inclusion right all of those things are possible within systems mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of those things, in some ways, are measurable within systems. Mm-hmm. Right? But it's peculiar that we leave out justice. Sure. Mm. Which is the doing of the thing to make it all right. Mm. Yeah. Uh, not the simple addressing of, of uh, these piecemeal issues. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, justice requires action. Right? And it requires reparation. Mm. And I'm not talking about in terms of reparations as we're talking about, but that's part of it. Uh, <laughs> part of it, right? But it requires all of those things. And I don't think people or systems have gotten to the point yet where they can can get to justice within systems in the diversity, equity, and inclusion mm. Right? I think that's that's a piece of it. Yeah, you can teach diversity, you can teach equity, you can teach inclusion, you can teach the meaning of it, right? But to be just is the practice of all of them together mm-hmm. for collective liberation and healing. Right? If it doesn't go, doesn't go back to those things, then we got some issues. Um, in terms of not seeing, uh, walking into rooms, then you know you're going to preach to the choir, right? I do it often. For sure. Um, but the question becomes, what can you take back with you to the pew, right? How can I tool you up that you now have the knowledge, the courage, the understanding, right? To go back into the pew and to challenge some folks Mm -hmm. in ways they need to be challenged, right? With compassion Mm -hmm. and with empathy for what they don't know. Now, I'm also at a point where I, like like Resma in that that podcast, the conversation between Resma Minkin and Robin D'Angelo, mm. right? We got Google. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We got Google. Mm-hmm. And institutions, again, you're learned people of higher education. You're learned people. If you wanted to know, you couldn't know. Yeah, for sure. Right? In- incentivizing the knowing, you know, the incentive of the knowing is that if we don't know, we're going to wipe ourselves out as, as, a people, mm. um, because this is not particularly, I don't think, how we're meant to live, right? This was an idea someone had about how society should, should be structured. And we were, especially people in the African diaspora, right, and, and Native peoples, we were subjugated to live under that reality. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not our reality. That is not our philosophical reality, mm. right? Um, this notion of, Danielle, you brought this up about collective care, right? Mm-hmm. Or the collective. It is, I argue in, in all of my research, it is one of the things that people of the diaspora have carried with them from the continent throughout time. Mm-hmm. Right? We think about enslavement and how families were ripped apart, right? Well, if a mother was ripped apart from her children, another mother came in. 
right? There was no separation. Mm-hmm. We are a collective people. And if one of you dies or fails, we all do. Mm-hmm. Right? So that has always been with us. Now, have we lost it? Yes. Um, because mm-hmm. living in this folks' world, mm-hmm. right, uh, competition either breeds contempt or excellence. Mm-hmm. Right? Or if you don't want to participate in competition, it brings mediocrity. Mm-hmm. Right? Which some folks, if you reframe that, will say, I'm resting. Right? I'm free from the rat race of capitalism. And that's their own form of liberation. Mm-hmm. Um, so you taking all of these concepts and looking at diversity, equity, and inclusion in terms of higher education, it's honestly on the humans who inhabit the system to take it back and transform it and transform themselves so the system can then be transformed. Mm-hmm. Right? Systems, in large part, are a reflection of who we are, collectively. And so if we change individually and collectively, the system has no choice but to be disrupted and to change. Right? And we know systems exist for their own survival. Mm. So if they, are, if they feel like they're in threat of being shut down, of non-existence, because everyone within them has been transformed then you bet your boots they're going to transform because they still want you to keep you in that, right? So you just keep doing this thing huh. mm-hmm. where you just keep transforming yourself so the system can transform, right? Mm-hmm. Or say, to hell with systems, we're going to disrupt it all, right? And imagine another way of living together um, in, in community with one another. I just had the thought, like, oh, man, we should be recording this. And then, <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was, like, so in this and listening to you. I'm, like, lost. And I'm, like, damn, we should, I got to listen to this again. And as it turns out, we can. Okay. I love this. I do. You are fabulous. Right? You are amazing. Y'all are great. This is wonderful. Can we do this next week? Oh, oh, yeah. Can you Listen, come back around too? Don't ask me because I'll I do lo- it every single week. Okay? I love it because <laughs> it's such an important conversation and it's not going to go anywhere. I do have to know, have to, because you are just fantastic. When did you know that this was the work you wanted to get into and how did you get into it? How did this you get like here? This is like a beginning question. We'll have this as our ending question. Yeah, We're closing thoughts because if we want to do this, yeah. If I want to grow up and be you, how do I grow yeah, up I, and be I you? I, I want to be Dr. <laughs> Dr. Robinson. Listen, uh, that's, a, that's a tough question. Um, you know, I came to this work, I'll start at the very beginning, right? So I thought I was going to be a priest. Mm, um, that makes sense. It does. I bought into that system. Sure, right? sure. Um, and thought that the way to set people free, the way to get people to understand themselves better, deeper, was through religion. Right. So at the age of 16, I professed that I was going to enter the seminary, the Catholic seminary. I entered a month after my 18th birthday. Hmm. My mother, uh, God rest her soul, um, had the wisdom to, to stop me at the door of the seminary on the day we were moving in. She said, I love you. I want the best for you. But you are not ready. You are too rebellious to go from my house to somebody else's, number one. Mm. Number two, if you want to make this decision, you make it after you've experienced the world in college. Mm. And number three, I hate to say this, but I know you. You're my child. I know you better than you know yourself. I will see you in three months. (laughs) (laughs) And I tell people, literally, I stayed three months and a week just to spite She got you to three months. <laughs> she got me to three months. Mm. Uh, and I arrived on my doorstep in Galveston, Texas, where I'm from, born and raised, um, at 11 o'clock on a Thursday night. I had a youth minister come pick me up and made sure she drove away so that um, my parents would not hold it, my mother and grandmother would not hold it against her and run the doorbell. Um, the door opened. I walked in. They went up to their to their rooms, and I was just standing there at the door, right? And then we had a big conversation the next day. Mm. Now, what I learned in that process was that um, religion, while it's lovely, wasn't where it was for me in that way. Mm -hmm. I'm still a practicing Catholic. I still go to Mass on Sunday. I don't believe in any, most of the dogma and and catechism of the church. Um, I don't believe the man hanging on the cross was a white man, so I refuse to pray to that that man um 
but I, I do understand God to be a woman. Um, and I had a conversation with the priest once. How did you get there? I'm, I'm going way off. <laughs> How did you get there? I said, you know, for me as a kid, I thought my grandmother was God. Um, grandma was 5'11". She used to wear heels. She had big Texas hair. She was wow. very fair skinned. And she had this laugh, which is how I found her in the grocery store on Saturday mornings, by her laugh when I would get lost, because mm. you could hear it across the store. I thought grandmother was God. Um, and, and I told him, I said, the only person, the only being who could create in this way. Talk about it. In, in supposedly seven days, right? If that's what you believe. Speak on it. Um, is a black woman. <laughs> Uh, and so he was like, well, I don't know about that. I was like, okay, great, whatever. Um, but that man ain't, ain't the one I'm praying to. So, tangent, you can cut that late. But, <laughs> <laughs> I, I came, what I came to understand for me was that potentially education was the way to bring people into the fullness of themselves, mm. right? Which is what religion does. Religion mm -hmm. educates, but it mm -hmm. also indoctrinates, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I wanted an education that would be liberating to bring people into the fullness of themselves, to help them know themselves deeper, not through something else or some other entity, but through their own understanding. Yes. Right. I came to education in that way. The diversity work uh, came, it, it's really in the blood, uh, if I mm -hmm. can say that. My, I, I was doing some, uh, recently some genealogical research and came across like a half, four-time great uncle. And it was 1916 and 1917, he had to, was forced to apply for the, the sign up for the draft for World War I. And the note on his draft card, and I have this, this card, it says um, he believes he should not be required to fight in a war in a country where he can't vote. Mm. 1917, Louisiana. Wow. Yes. Mm. Um, my great grandfather, my grandmother's mother on my mother's side, was for a number of years the first vice president of the NAACP for the state of Texas and the oh. president of his alumni branch from 1955 to 1985. Um, so it really is kind of in the blood. Uh, hell raising, disrupting politely mm. is in the blood. Um, and personally, my own experiences as a 6'4 and just as wide black man, mm. right, going to um, a predominantly white Catholic university in New Orleans, asking questions and being told, you're, you're so aggressive. Mm. Why are you so aggressive? I, I said the same, and a, a friend of mine and I played this trick on this person. She, who happened to be a white, blonde-haired woman from Louisiana, and I said the exact same thing, similar tones. She was applauded, and I was told I was too aggressive. Mm. Right? Um, and I'll be damned if anybody's going to limit me. Mm -hmm. um, and so a good deal of this work is about releasing limitations off of people. Mm -hmm. right? Those that we've placed on ourselves and those that society has placed on us. Um, the, the imagination work came in in that, you know, we all go through these moments in our lives where we're like, what the hell are we doing? What is going on here? Right? And I realized that at some points, I was living somebody else's life. Right? I was living, um, I was living my life to make my mother proud, to make my grandmother, and I still do. Right? I want want them to be proud, but I realized that a friend told me the the best definition of hell is this: you at your last breath, meeting the person that you could have been. Mm. In a place, it's a moment. And what I realized in myself is that I did not want to experience the moment of hell at my dying, whenever that should happen, right? So I need to be my full self and I need to help folks get to their fullness so that they don't experience the moment of hell, right? It's not a place um, at their last breath. Mm. Okay, preacher. Oh, right. That's a, a long answer. I just had the same thought, Casey. I was like, I, I need to listen to this recording. Okay. <laughs> Well, it's a little, it is a little bit like sitting in, in church or like sitting in class, you know, but mm -hmm. speaking to the, to the human spirit and, and I don't know, you do have a very, um, grounded and refreshing yep. mm. way of being. 
Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're what very else? home. Yes. <laughs> if I had to give your personality right? a word, it's very home, <laughs> welcoming. Um, it's You can tell it's a genuine want. Um, you're a delight. You're fabulous. Yes. I love giving Thank flowers you. while we, you can hear them. You're yes. fabulous. And we love Dr. Robinson Morris. Yes. So if folks are, who are interesting, <laughs> who are interesting, if folks who are interested, <laughs> and all, only if you're interesting, please, um, who are interested in, in, in uh, reaching out, maybe working with you, where can folks find you? Sure. Um, I, yesterday, actually, I founded or launched a new Ooh. center. Oh. Um, an independent center on my mother's birthday. Uh, which was yesterday. Uh, it's called the Center for the Human Spirit and Radical Reimagining. Um, and that can be found at centerforthehumanspirit.org. Um, and you can also find me at thereimagilution.com. Um, and go to those two places. as all my contact info. You can reach me from there. I just am thinking about, like, if... It, if the DNA of our systems, of our of our universities and colleges was of the spirit of this conversation, we wouldn't be burned out. No. Mm-mm. To have that wholeness and that healing. I would be made full the way I would like to. Anyway, I, I feel... This conversation was very fulfilling. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so, so, so much. We hope to talk to you again. Please. Thank yes. you. Next week. <laughs>